Welcome to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan, and thank you so much for joining us today. We know that uh, there's so many other things going on, so many other things you could be listening to right now, but you have decided to listen to what God has in store for you on this podcast. So we just pray and ask that God would bless you in this sermon Thank you again for joining us. Don't forget, you are part of the Rock Creek Family Church family. Hey everybody, Pastor Justy Smith with Rock Creek Family Church, and I just want to welcome you to our midweek Bible study. I hope you enjoyed Pastor Jonathan last night. Always does a great job, and I want everybody to be able to hear him. And here we go with our midweek Bible study. Um, We are continuing in this Bible study called The Kingdom of God. This is Kingdom of God Part 2, and we're going to start looking at um, some parables. Uh, We're not going to dive too deep into the parables yet, but we're going to set this up. Last week, we talked about just kind of an intro to this. This week, we're going to talk about the context of these parables. And when I say the parables, uh, obviously, I want you to know that there is one section in which there is like seven parables all crammed together. And that section is found in Matthew chapter 13. And uh, that's where we're going to be teaching from for the next few weeks. But I want to set this up. I I want you to, uh, as if you're sitting in a theater and and this you see the the curtain roll back and sometimes the very first thing you begin to notice is the set uh what is on stage here and what is on stage there what's the colors like where's the smoke and the and the, and the fog that's blowing the spotlights and the lights that are going here and there what does the setting look like and that's very important in theater it's also very important in scripture because Jesus always does everything with a purpose and when we when we look at the context of Matthew 13 we see the purpose we see why Jesus is <clears throat> teaching with parables we see what he's the, the main point he's really trying to drive home with his disciples and all of those who are willing to follow him. So, without further ado, let's dive into the context, the, the kingdom imagery of what Jesus is setting up so that he can teach about the kingdom of God in his parables. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. That's where we're going to start talking about this setup, the context. It's really important. This is going to be a good one. I'm excited about this. I love this Bible study. I hope you get a lot out of it like I got a lot of it when God dropped it into my heart. So uh, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to start reading at verse 46 and getting maybe a, a pad and, and a pen or highlighter, whatever it is that you need as you're gathering all of that stuff, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for us, pray for this moment, pray for this Bible study. And let's just be in alignment with what God wants today. Father God, we love you and we thank you. And that is truly what we want. We want to be in your will, fully, completely, holy, holy in your will, God, every aspect of us. God, everything I do, Lord, I want it to be with you. I want you, God, to be in the, in the midst of everything that I'm about, everything that I do. 
God, if there's anything that I do that does not honor you, I pray, Lord, that today we just give it to you, asking you, Lord, to wash it by your blood and asking your Holy Spirit to empower me in a way where I can move past that flesh and walk after the Spirit. Lord, let us do that today. Let us, let us move things aside so we can align our hearts and our minds and our wills with the will of God, the will of our Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray that you would uh, take this word and sow a seed deep down inside of us, a seed that springs up a harvest of faith. Pray, Lord, for those who are in need today, need of a touch or need of a blessing, need of a healing, need of encouragement, need of whatever. I want to I want to just turn all of our eyes toward you because we know you are where our help comes from. God, we love you and we thank you. May every word spoken be go out to glorify your name and be heard for the edification of your body. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. All right, let's dive into this. Let's, let's get the context of what Jesus is doing. Again, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 for a few weeks because there are seven parables there that talk about the kingdom of God. This all came from a heart where I was praying, Lord, teach me how to, how to show me how to teach something that's relevant to your people in this day, in this season, in this time. And you know what? I didn't, I, maybe God just dropped it in my heart and, and I realized that there's nothing more relevant than teaching what Jesus taught. Uh, Jesus is the relevance of God to us. Jesus makes God attainable and approachable. That's why John the Baptist said, uh, Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, turn, and get ready to receive the kingdom of God. So through Jesus Christ, we can attain the kingdom of God. We can dwell in and be in the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus came. That's the message he came to spread, the seed he came to cast. And those are the parables that he taught, seven of them in Matthew 13. But let's get the picture. I, I know that, that I want us to, to maybe not just read the black and red letters on a white page. I want us to imagine. I want us to get a picture of Jesus and what he's doing, how he's sitting there, and what how he's teaching and where he's teaching from and how he is going to actually move from one location to another location and then actually back to that other location with, a, with I believe, an intent and a purpose to draw us deeper into him. So in the context of Matthew 13, where he is teaching, yes, a multitude of people, you know, and in that multitude of people, there are all kinds, all walks of life. There are people who were raised in the temple or people who were raised to serve God, people who were on the fringes of that, people who were sinners, people who were saints, people who were uh, striving to live for God, and people who were just curious to see what this Jesus stuff was all about. There were people that were mad at him there. There were people that were glad that he was there. There was family there. There was disciples there. There were, there were those that were lukewarm, those that were burning hot, and those that were freezing cold. They were all there in that multitude that he was teaching. To get to that point where he was teaching that multitude, you got to go all the way back to Matthew chapter 12 
And I'm going to set this up before we read Matthew 12:46, where he actually was um, kind of called out by the Pharisees for he and his disciples walking through a wheat field and taking the heads of those uh, of, of that wheat off and uh, eating the the grains there, eating the the heads of the wheat, eating the grain. They were hungry, and uh, even though they were hungry, the the Pharisees had to shake a finger at him because they were just waiting, looking, trying to find a place where they could they could get him. They 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 did not like Jesus showing up because um, the the Pharisees could not wrap their mind around the way God was doing things, and we have to be very careful of that. That uh, we don't just serve a God that we can completely understand or control. No, it's the other way around. Well, Jesus moves on to a synagogue, and as he's there in the synagogue, he sees that a man needs to be healed. Well, the loving Jesus that he is heals on the Sabbath there in that synagogue. And again, all the religious leaders bust him out and come after him and say, why are you doing such things? You're breaking the law and the commands of God. And Well, Jesus is basically... His retort is basically, yeah, this is not work for me. <laughs> this may be work for you. This was work for this man to come to church, to come to the synagogue, lame. But it's my pleasure to heal him and make him whole. Uh, he's chased out of that, that temple. He's chased out by the religious leaders. In fact, some want to stone him right then and there. As he leaves that place, though, he finds a multitude of people following after him because of some healings that he has done. and He heals and he teaches and he blesses them and the multitude grows a little bit and, and he actually moves from that synagogue and goes to a house in Capernaum. In that house in Capernaum, which some people say it could be Peter's house. We don't have perfect evidence of that, but it is possible that he goes then to a city called Capernaum, goes to Peter's house, and as he is there at the house, he sees the multitude coming again to be taught, to be healed, to be touched, to be blessed, whatever it is that they need. They're coming to Jesus, some in need, some in curiosity, some in spite, some in friendship, some in discipleship, all walks of life, coming to him there in the house. Here is where we pick up, which is very important. It's going to lead us to why Jesus taught all of these parables about the kingdom of God. <sighs> okay, I know that was a long intro. I know that was a big one, but it was super important. Now, Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. <clears throat> We're going to read 46 through 50. I'm reading out of the New King James, so yours may read just a little bit differently. Matthew 12, 46 says, While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside, that's outside the house, seeking to speak with him. Well, then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him that, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward all of his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven oh, is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus is not trying to be harsh here. He, he's not trying to, to dishonor his mom. That's one of the commandments there. Honor your father and your mother. 
<clears throat> he's not trying to dishonor her or he's not trying to be mean or harsh at this moment. He's trying to teach a very, very poignant principle that is going to lead unto why he's teaching about the kingdom of God. He's really extending an invitation. He's extending an invitation to say that everyone can be a part of the family of God. Everyone can be underneath my, my bloodline. Everyone can be in my presence. Everyone can dwell in the house of the Heavenly Father. Everyone, The Heavenly Father is coming to call His children back home and back in. The Heavenly Father has sent Christ down to a world in need, a world of orphans in need of a Heavenly Father to come and be with them. And so that is what he's doing. And to set up the kingdom of God, it is to set up an invitation where Jesus Christ is inviting everyone to come in and be a part of what he is doing. And there he is. He's sitting in the house calling that invitation out, crying out to say, hey, everyone who wants to do the will of my father, everyone who does that, everyone who follows me, they are my family. He also then, from that moment, gets up from the house and then walks out of the house. Matthew 13, 1, which is just a, a verse or two later. <clears throat> Matthew 13 and 1 says, Now on that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. He went out of the house and sat by the sea because most likely the multitude was growing so large that not everyone could get into the house. We, we, we take that clue because Mary and his brothers were wanting to get in the house and it was too crowded. Um, it was so crowded they couldn't get in so they sent a messenger and like, hey, pass the word to Jesus and that we need to see him. We don't know what they needed to see him about, but they needed to see him, couldn't get to him. Maybe the multitude was growing so large Jesus decided, okay, let's take this out of the house. But I think it was even deeper than that. I think Jesus is being a living parable to take these steps and walk out of a house to teach his disciples something by imagery. That you have this multitude of people thronging to get into the house. Jesus then takes the, takes the disciples out of the house and goes out by the sea. The sea, the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus did a lot of work, where the disciples did a lot of work, where they were, <clears throat> were, were fishermen, where, where there are many stories all surrounded by the Sea of Galilee. And in essence, I think, if you want to look at it this way, could represent a sea of people that Jesus wanted to teach, that Jesus is sitting by the sea to teach a sea of people that could not all get in the house. If you actually read on, basically, the Bible says that he asks to get into the boat and be pushed off just a little bit. He does this a few times. This is just a teaching technique to help his voice be amplified off of the water and reach everybody there on the shore, which is a, a, an important point that says that he wants to reach everybody Jesus is about to teach the kingdom of God. He's about to cast his seed. He, he's about to send the gospel, the seed of the gospel out to all of these people that are there in this multitude of people, in this sea of people. As he is sitting on the boat teaching the people about the kingdom of God, he then stops and does something a little bit odd. 
he takes a moment, come ask them to asks them to pull the boat back onto the shore, gets out of the boat, and we find in Matthew chapter thirteen verse thirty six that Jesus sent the multitude away and then went back into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Now explain to us these parables. And at first they asked to explain Jesus the parable of the tares and the wheat. Jesus doesn't just explain this parable like uh, they're like they're small children not getting it. Jesus actually uses this point as a setup. We find this setup in Mark chapter four eleven, which is a synoptic gospel, and he's teaching the disciples kind of the same thing there in Mark four. But Jesus says something that just blows my mind, blows their mind, something so awesome, something that actually tells us what the whole point of these parables are, what's the whole point of Jesus inviting the disciples back into the house with him. Mark four eleven says, And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. Jesus is basically saying, hey, you want to know the key to success? You want to know the key to life? You want to know the key, the secret to the kingdom of God and how to abide and dwell and how to live in that kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God is all about? If you want to know all of that, then I'm about to give it to you. And he does so in the house as he's dis as he's invited his disciples and his disciples being anyone who is willing to follow him and do the will of the father. He just set that up for us. Anyone who's willing to follow him and do the will of the father, he invites them back into the house and says, now let me, let me bring it all down to you and give you the main point. That being, let me teach you the mysteries of the gospel, of the kingdom of God, of what God is doing, of what I'm doing here, the point to it all. <clears throat> so let's go back to the imagery. Here's Jesus in the house teaching a multitude of people. He then chooses to leave the house and go out to the Sea of Galilee. And beside the Sea of Galilee, he's teaching an even larger, bigger multitude of people, a sea of people. And then he takes those willing to follow him back into the house. All for what? I think this is what he's trying to, the point he's trying to, to, to drive home with his disciples is that this is the work that needs to be done. That maybe if it's Peter's house, maybe it's not by coincidence that he is in the house of the man who he's going to use to preach the first sermon, to start building the house of, of, of God being the church. Maybe it's not by coincidence that he leaves something that could represent the church and goes out to the mission field, out to the sea to sow his seed to cast out that gospel to all of those who are willing to hear, to invite everyone to come and be in the kingdom of God. This imagery, when he leaves the house, 
going out into the mission field to work, and then inviting those to do something really, really important, that's to come back to the house. This invitation was, was sent out to all of those, all of those that were within hearing distance of him. All of those received the seed. Not every one of them took. Multitude, some of them left. A lot of them probably left. Oh, but there was some that grabbed a hold of that seed, let it be put down deep in their heart, and they became willing to follow him into the kingdom of God. Here is this mission field. This mission field Jesus is trying to teach is not the enemy of the church. It's our mission field. Jim Cimbala says in his book, Fresh Power, he says this, The world and its people are not the enemy. They are the mission field. That's what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. He said to say, disciples, here's the work. Here's where the work needs to be done. The work needs to be done out there so that we can then invite them to come in, back into the kingdom of God. Jesus is sitting in the mission field, on the sea, on a boat, on the sea, casting his seed. Again, this sea is very important. Look at all the things Jesus has, has done with this sea, or in this sea, or around this sea. This was the very same sea that he walks by and tells Peter, James, John, some of those, hey, come follow me. This was the same sea that they were making a living in and trying to live in. And in fact, in that moment, Peter was frustrated because uh, he did not catch anything. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, if you want to be fulfilled in life, why don't you follow me? This is the very same seed that uh, very same sea that they uh, got in a boat and started to go across and the storm came up and Jesus was asleep, resting in this mission field, resting in, the, in, in, in this boat that's here on a turbulent sea. Oh, that sea can be very turbulent. The sea of people, the sea of the mission field, it can be very, very turbulent. But here's Jesus resting in that it can be very stormy. It, 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 can, it, can be, um, uh, it can be full of unrest and full of anxiety. But here's Jesus resting as if to show the disciples that there is a way to rest in this field. There is a way and he's got that way. This is also the same sea that when they did wake him up, he did step out on the bow of the boat and said, Peace, be still, that Jesus does have a command over that mission field that Jesus can still, through his disciples, speak peace over that mission field, over that sea of people. This is the same sea that Jesus cast demons out of the man, the legion of demons out of the man and the Gadarenes, cast them into the pigs, and pigs went into the sea and drowned. And then it's, I don't think by coincidence, that just a little bit later we find Jesus walking on top of the sea, almost as if he's giving the image that he is walking on the heads of the enemy, that the enemy is found under his feet. This is the same sea that he walks with Peter on the water. After Peter is drowning in a turbulent sea, and after the fear and the, the, the worry, the anxiety of the disciples in the midst of a of a turbulent sea, Jesus comes walking to them, and Peter and Jesus walk hand in hand on the sea. Yes, it was after Peter went down. It was after Peter got uh, got a little 
got his eyes off of Jesus, got a little worried, got a little scared, um, started to sink and, and, and started to take in water. And Jesus right there grabs his hand and they walk together back to the boat. This is the same sea. It's the same sea that Jesus tells the disciples to cast their nets on the other side. And as they pull in that hull, there's more fish than what they can actually lift. He does that a couple of times. And this is the same sea Jesus reinstates Peter. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Yes, this sea, I believe, represents a turbulent mission field. I believe that this is where Jesus does some of his greatest work. Yes, he does incredible, great work in his church, in his house. And we're going to get back to that and how important that is. But must we remember that we have to join Christ in, what, in the work that Christ was doing as the Christ walked in this world, out in the sea, out in the mission field, to cast his seed everywhere he went, to speak, to preach and speak his truth, his love, his gospel to everyone out in the world. Yeah, the world is messed up. It's crazy. There's panic going on, whether it's panic in the pump or whether it's war breaking out or, or uh, the social climate is, is, not very, is not very conducive to peace and freedom. Uh, the political climate is a mess. <clears throat> things are crazy. Things are turbulent. But must we really be surprised by that? The sea's always been turbulent. Why? Well, because the sea, um, the sea is driven by the by just the the wind and the waves, and it's up and it's down, and it's it's never stable, never consistent. This is why Jesus did his work here in a turbulent sea. Because there's a lot of people that are at spiritual unrest. There are a lot of people that are in this sea that are restless. There's a lot of people in this world that are completely restless. We're living in a day, day and a time and a season where almost everyone we see and come across in some form or fashion is struggling with restlessness. It's because we, as a people, are, are living and trying to make a living, floating on a turbulent sea, and we're dying of thirst. We're exhausted because we're rowing against the wind. We're exhausted because the, the waves keep battering us. They, they, they keep hitting at us. They, they keep coming and it's just, it's just over and over and it's exhausting. And sometimes life can be very exhausting. And as we struggle and as we fight, we end up getting extremely thirsty, extremely hungry. And here we are in a boat in the middle of water in which we cannot even drink. For you know what happens when you drink seawater. It makes you extremely sick. It will cause, it will cause water and, and hydration to leave you faster than it goes in. It makes you sick and you will dehydrate and you will die. And so how, what a conundrum of life this is <clears throat> to be on a boat in the middle of water and you can't even drink it. Otherwise, it'll make you sick. And that's life, right? That's why Jesus did the work there in this 
this mission field called Earth. It's hard to be thirsty and surrounded by water, especially knowing you can't drink it. How miserable is that? No wonder why people are spiritually not at rest. They're uneasy. They're, they're restless and they're worried and they're anxious and they're fearful. They're depressed. They're, they're struggling. They're striving. But Jesus knows this. In fact, Isaiah 57 and 20 kind of gives us a picture of this same image. Isaiah 57, 20 says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Oh, but this is why Jesus came to walk on that sea. This is why Jesus came to talk on that sea. This is why Jesus came to preach the gospel and speak about the kingdom of God and these parables on that sea to invite us to invite us to not drink of the sea, but to drink of him, our wellspring of life. The one who sits on a well, talks to a woman who is at unrest and, and restless in her relationships. And he says, if you would just drink from me, I will give you water. You'll never thirst again. Invitations. Jesus was in the boat, in the sea, talking to a sea of people to give out an invitation. It's not the only time Jesus gave out invitations. Jesus actually gave out three invitations in particular in Scripture. We will go through them really quickly because I know we're about to run out of time. <clears throat> but really quickly, these three invitations give us our principle. They give us our purpose and they give us our power. And we are going to come full circle with this imagery and this parable, this kingdom parable here in just a second. Three invitations of Christ. Number one, Matthew eleven twenty eight gives us an invitation. Matthew eleven and twenty eight says, "Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you." That's right. You all know it. Rest, rest. This Jesus says, "I've come to give you rest. I've come to help you with this. I see you restless. I see you burdened down. I see that you can't sleep at night. I see that you can't get enough sleep. I see that you have a hard time getting up and getting out of bed. I see that you have a hard time struggling with your identity and your purpose. I see that you're fighting and waning and waving there. Every time that something happens, you change. I see you struggling. I see you striving. I see you under a burden. I know you're working your fingers to the bone and you then and, and you do all of that to look at your bills and go why and what and how, never being able to get ahead. I see that you are that you've got everything looking good on the outside, but on the inside there's still some emptiness to you. I see that. I see that there is no answer in medicine or sociology or psychology except the answer of Jesus Christ. There's no political answer that's going to answer all of these needs. It is the invitation. It is taking the invitation of Jesus when he says, come unto me. Come unto me. Because we, he knows we are struggling. People are filled with unrest and restlessness. And that's why Jesus gives the first invitation, which gives the principle of why he came. Come, come unto me, come unto me, and I will give you rest. I'll give you peace. 
the second invitation found in Mark 1.17. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It gives us a purpose. Jesus came to, to, to yes, save that which was lost and came to give rest. But once that rest is given, once that invitation is accepted, once you come into that principle of why he came, next comes the purpose, the purpose of disciples making more disciples, the purpose of, of realizing that we are saved to serve and we're redeemed to reproduce. We should be disciples making more disciples. And that is where we find our greatest sense of fulfillment being a working partner with the Holy Ghost, carrying out the life and the work of Jesus Christ and doing all of this in accordance with the will of his heavenly and our heavenly Father. It's how we find our fulfillment. It's how we find our purpose. Luke 9, 23 says, He said to them all, If any of you desire to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Come after me. Here's your purpose. Your purpose is to worship God and serve God. And Jesus says, Here's how you know you love and serve and worship God. If you serve others, if you're willing to 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 do some vertical worship, how you love God, but then do some horizontal worship, how you serve others. That will give you fulfillment and that will make you have a purpose. John 8, 31, Jesus then said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And this is going to set up the third invitation that he gives, which is going to give us our power, our strength. This is where our strength and our power come from to serve, to worship, to keep doing exactly what he's called us to do. And it's called abiding. It's an invitation to abide or live in the realm of God to live in the kingdom of God, to abide, to dwell, to live there. Um, Billy Graham says this, personal salvation is, should not be an occasional rendezvous with deity. Personal salvation should be our dwelling. John 15, four through eight. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Oh, and Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He just goes right to the point by saying this next line, for without me, you can do nothing. Now, he's not talking about floating at the sea. He's not talking about struggling and striving. We can do all that without him pretty easily. But bearing the fruit of, we find in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, bearing those fruit, that's our burden is to bear those fruits. That character of God. 
That is our new burden. When we come unto him, he says, those that come unto me and I give you rest, he said, take my yoke upon you for my burden is easy, my yoke is light. Or maybe it's the other way. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, right? Either way, he's saying, you still have a, you still have a cross to carry, a burden to carry, but this burden is to carry the fruit in the character of God. Everywhere you go, whatever you do, it's going to be there for you and for those around you. That's what the fruit is for. When a tree bears the fruit, it's for a, a, a purpose and a, and a power and potential to keep that tree and life growing, going forever and ever and ever. But it's also meant for the world to receive as well. Let's read on. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Oh, but if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Not just barely enough fruit to get by. Much fruit so that you will be my disciples. This is where we get our power, learning to abide in him. And this, yes, this is why Jesus went full circle with taking his disciples and those willing to follow back into the house. He, he leaves the house. Let's get the image of he leaves the house of God only for the purpose of going out and casting his seed and sending out an invitation and for taking those who are willing to accept that invitation back to the house of God, back to a place where they can abide in him, back to a place of, of knowing him and eating dinner with him and communing with him and sitting down the, uh, beside him He's sitting in this chair and I'm sitting in this chair. And we're just asking questions and we just get to know each other. We commune, we fellowship, we abide, we dwell. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. There he becomes your refuge and your fortress, your God in whom you trust. And all the way down to verse 14, Psalm 91, 14 says this, because he, the one who's following him, the one who's abiding in Jesus, the one who's abiding in, in the kingdom of God, because he has set his love upon me. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. That's where our power comes from. That's where our strength comes from. It comes from abiding in him. That is the context of why he taught the kingdom of God to give out an invitation to all of those who would listen to come and follow him, follow him where back to a place where they could abide with him, follow him to a place of rest, follow him to a place where, where even in the midst of turbulent times, peace can be spoken and rest can be found and walking on top of the enemy can be done back to a place where Jesus can make a way where there is no way when, when by parting a sea if necessary back to a place 
of reinstatement by the love of Jesus into his kingdom, back to a place where we find purpose and fulfillment. We, we know our identity. We know who we are as we abide in him. How important is this context? Extremely. So thank you for listening. Thank you for joining with me today as we set up Jesus talking about the kingdom of God as we look at the setting, the stage, the context, because it's super important to know that is why he taught the kingdom of God in parables. We love you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you. Oh, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you do, that you do everything with such great detail. You've got it all planned out. You've got it all worked out. Everything you do is full of purpose and power. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for, for some crazy reason, inviting us to join with you in a very special and important work. Forgive us where we fail you. Let us align ourselves with your will and do your work for your name and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. If there's anyone now who has an unsettled spirit, anyone who feels restless, give them peace as they turn to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Hope you have a great rest of your weekend. Hope to see you Sunday. Peace out. Thank you so much for listening to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan again, and we are so thankful and grateful for you to be here and join us. We ask that you would make sure that you subscribe so that you can catch other podcasts as they come out. Also, if you would rate it and comment, let us know how God has blessed you through this podcast. We love you. We thank you. Have a blessed day.